Coming up, we'll preview Spooktacular, the new documentary that takes you behind the screams of Spooky World, one of America's original horror theme parks. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunted Attraction Network show, we bring Halloween to you every weekday. We have news, on-location coverage, and interviews from experiences around the world. Whether you're a Halloween enthusiast or professional, each episode helps you celebrate the best holiday. If you're new to the show, or if you want to tell your friends about it, our podcast website has categories and a search function to help you sort through our huge episode catalog. Our podcast website is at haunt.news, or you can simply search for us in iTunes or Spotify to get started. Okay, back to Spooktacular. This audio is taken from a panel the team gave Friday during the annual Monster Palooza. You'll hear from the founder of Spooky World, David Bertolino, along with the documentary producers and some of the cast. We're leaving this mostly unedited, including the part where the team plays a sizzle reel, mainly because it just sounds really cool, so I just left it in there even though you can't see it. If you are curious to see the panel, we have a video version up, and that's linked in the show notes as well as on our social media. Okay, here we go. Glad to be back. Yeah! How many of you here for the first time? Woo! How many of you here for the last time? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm so happy that you're here. We're so happy to be back. And I'm so happy that we're starting Friday night with our spectacular panel. And this is America's original horror theme park. You're going to be thrilled to see a clip from the new documentary about it. Um, we have a panel coming up shortly, but at first I am going to uh, ask the moderator of the panel, Mr. Tony Timpone, to please enter the stage. Woo! Honestly, I cannot see a thing. I hope I know he's walking up here. Tony, there you go. He's in the back this time. Well, Mr. Tony Timpone, thank you, Perry. Let's hear it for Perry. Thank you. Uh, before we introduce our spectacular, spooktacular panel, we're going to show you uh, our sizzle reel to get you in the mood for the great stuff to come. So sit tight and enjoy this great teaser from Spooktacular. All right, recording. Spooky World Doc. Spooky World. It's hard to explain to somebody who didn't go there and see it. Do you have any good Halloween memories of, of your days growing up? I have tons. Do you remember Spooky World? In Boston? Oh, or? no, in the middle of nowhere in a farm that okay, was gotcha. terrifying and yeah. scary and they had a haunted house and I just loved it. Nothing compares to Spooky World and it was something that was so unique. Everybody knew it was a phenomenon. The golden age of horror started in the United States in 1978 with the release of the original Halloween. And shortly thereafter, the first Friday the 13th, things really started picking up in terms of how we were being scared. Soon you had Freddy Krueger. And the sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hellraiser. All of these iconic horror themes stalking our nightmares through the cinema. In this perfect moment of time, out of nowhere, in the middle of a Massachusetts cornfield, we have Spooky World.
combination of all of those films and all of those characters, and it gives us a place where we can go and meet them in person. I'm standing next to the legendary star of The Exorcist, Academy Award nominee, Linda Blair. In person, you understand. I I'm Dee Wallace Stone, and I'm here at Spooky World, and I'm having a fabulous time! Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. So I really work like about 24 hours a day, every day, through the month of October. We always come to Spooky World in October. I can't think of another event that brought celebrities to us. It's Friday through Monday, meet Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and we have Spooky World. That was a real bonus of going to Spooky World, is that you got to meet these great horror celebrities and get an autograph. Each weekend, there was going to be somebody different. Bigger celebrities at every year. All that came from Spooky World. There was nothing else that had been like it. You could come out of the Freddy Krueger experience and you can meet Robert England. Ready to be Freddy. Freddy! And we become this runaway train. This national phenomenon. I'm at Spooky World, Jay. Oh, oh, Spooky World! Spooky World is the Disney World for the Halloween crowd. It became part of the culture almost instantly. Spooky World, a scary theme park in Berlin, Massachusetts, can only open this one full month. For October, let's go back to Spooky World. Tommy Savini, Spooky World. His credits include Dawn of the Dead, Creep Show, The Burning, and a whole slew of Friday the 13th movies. Mr. Tom Savini. We came up with a concept of creating a mini Halloween theme park. It took a visionary like David Bertolino to create a place like Spooky World. One time, Bomb has a 20 minute pay ride with all kinds of unexpected sights. As a kid, I loved Halloween, so anything that would extend the season of Halloween sounded great to me. But with growth has come some controversy. Sends the wrong message to children. We shut off the blood pumps and the body parts don't go flying until later evening hours. We intend to do something about this terrible scourge of violence. Now, the attacking chainsaw the red skis. They were actors creating different characters through the use of makeup and costumes. Dress up, scare people, get paid. I on some Mary Jane shoes, white socks, strapped down my breasts. It's just theater, it's all make-believe. My character is based on Sleazy P. Only a lot of this stuff was not make-believe. Four to five hundred employees on any given night. I definitely do not do it for the money. You do the math. It is love in the 3D disco. There was so much sex going on that we started to refer to it as the Berlin Farm. I'm going to bring my whole family. I'm not a monster. Working at Spooky World as one of my first professional performances helped me to understand who I was as a performer and what I could do. They're all over the country now. The other ones are very big and slick, whereas Spooky World, everything about it was just genius. Spooky World was like the first. I've done Universal Studios. This beats it. You had to be there, man. It's America's only horror theme park. It was a revolutionary idea back in the early 90s. David Bernalino comes into town with his vision, Spooky World. It's not Spooky World. It's David Bernalino. David Bertolino was making millions in one month. You could call a spooky financial genius. There was money everywhere. He's like Donald Trump with character. He was a showman. We've got Tiny Tim. If he gets married on The Tonight Show, the way he did with Carson, the second highest rated television broadcast of the 60s, the second Tonight Show wedding. The dream wedding night for any girl. Hosted by Bill Maher, Maya Sam. They're going on their honeymoon to the Bermuda Triangle, Janet. He uh, had a magical way of getting free publicity. You'll be up in Boston at this uh, spooky park. Spooky World. Spooky World yes, this sir. weekend. Through October 31st. I might have been kind of the P.T. Barnum of the Halloween haunt industry. Ladies and gentlemen, 
children of all ages. I'm going to give the people what they want. Sensation, horror, shock. Every year, Dave brought another piece to the puzzle. It took guts to build Spooky World and gallons of blood. I send them out in the streets to tell their friends how wonderful it is to be scared to death. Come on Friday night, I can be buried alive at Spooky World. In a box, underground, at Spooky World. Buried alive. Dave Bernalino is an absolute media whore. And he said, why don't you have the baby in the barn? We'll make the Associated Press. David was very charismatic. If you put Walt Disney and Stephen King together, you have David Bertolino. Terror. There's the present and the future of horror, and he saw that. His legacy to the haunting industry paved the way for other trails and haunted houses across the world. No matter who's doing what today, they weren't the pioneers. It was David Bertolino. We are the door that opens to the unknown. Spooky world is legend. The Spooky World and Spooktacular. And make sure you stick around to the end of this incredible panel because uh, we're going to have information on the world's premiere uh, that we are holding tomorrow night right here in Pasadena, walking distance from Monsterpalooza. And we got some really nice swag we're giving away, t-shirts. So uh, please stick around for the, le the entire length of the panel to get all these goodies and information about the screening. And now without further ado, it's my great pleasure to bring up the geniuses behind Spooky World, Spooktacular. Uh, producers Anthony Landry and Danny Wolf. Come on up, uh, Anthony and Danny. Okay. And let's give it up for the director of Spooktacular, Quinn Monahan. And he's a haunted house expert. He's traveled the country visiting haunted attractions. He's also an actor who we've seen in The Devil's Rejects on TV shows like Lost. He's the new grandpa in The Munsters. Let's give it up for Daniel Roba. And he was the first VIP horror guest at Spooky World, the one and only Kane Hatter. Oh, he'll be here soon. He's on the way. Came out and he's in the dealer's room. And of course, the man who started it all. Let's give it up for Spooky World founder David Bertolino. Costume salesman to create the one and only Spooky World back in uh, 1990, 1991. What was the genesis of the hayride that led to Spooky World? If I can go back further, uh, when I was about 14 years old, my uh, dad made a career move and bought a joke shop in downtown Boston. 
And so I was the official uh, demonstrator of whoopee cushions and hand buzzers. <laughs> and I moved on to Halloween. And then pretty much we started wholesaling Halloween supplies on the East Coast. And then just to move up the clock real quick, I became a sales manager for Ruby's Costume Company. And from that point, I was out of work late in the season because it was an early season of wholesale. And we started selling supplies to haunted houses with little independent folks throughout the country. But at some point, I got interested in a, a hayride that was operating in New Jersey called Haunted Hayrides. And I flew out there one night and witnessed what I couldn't believe. There was hundreds of people paying $10 a ticket to go on a hayride. So I brought back the idea to family and friends. And uh, I went out and foolishly bought a dairy farm that was being repossessed by the FDIC. And I created this hayride trail. And while I was developing it, I called this fellow who I'd never met before by the name of Tom Sabini. And I said, Tom, I'm an idiot. I sell hand buzzers and wooden cushions. That's my experience. But if you can help me with creating little skits, vignettes along this hayride trail, uh, I'd love to take you and have you on board for it. And so Tom came out and uh, worked the summer developing his ideas along this hayride trail. And my partner and I figured if we could sell 200 tickets a night, we would break even. And on October 1st, we opened outside of Boston. Of 1991. And sold 2,000 tickets on opening night. Wow. And the end of the month, it was 60,000 paid admissions. So my 15-year loan, uh, we paid off in three weeks. And we bought out some financial partners who were only there to provide money. And they reluctantly said goodbye to us because they thought they were going to be attached to us for 15 years, but we were able to just have them exit because they got paid in full. And, uh, and Tom stayed on. And I, you know, make no mistake about it, I don't have a creative bone in my body when it comes to stage design. Tom did it all, literally. And I thank him, I, you know, it, it was, you know, his genius that created Spooky World. So I want to give and David credit. Bertolino and Tom Savini created the modern haunting industry. There was nothing before the two of them. And by the time it was all over in 2003, there was a thriving multi-billion dollar haunting industry around the world. And as you all know, it just gets bigger every year. I want to just say, do you remember before Spooky World, it was you guys, remember you go to the JC's Haunted House in your neighborhood, in Des Moines, Iowa, sure. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, the JC's and the Rotary Club, they, they got the Don Post masks, sure. they'd be like, ah! <laughs> and they would just do it as a charity thing, but you, you, you had the vision to turn it into this business and I mean, we'll talk more about, I don't, it's your show, but there was no place on earth like Spooky World. Thank you. Oh. Is there anyone out there that ever visited Spooky World out there in the audience? Yeah. Oh. Who knows? You gotta hear you. Who, who, who in the audience clapping? It's my mother. Knows about Spooky World. Who knows anything about Spooky World? 
A little smattering, a little smattering. Yeah. You learn a lot when you see our film. Yeah, when you watch this movie. Yeah, so, uh, you know, to move up the clock, uh, Tom came back each year. We actually changed the name of the business from Spooky Hayrides to Spooky World. Tom said, listen, it's not just a hayride. It, it's like, you know, Disneyland, Disney World, oh, Spooky World. Within days, we officially, legally changed the name, and each year we added a, a haunted house attraction that was highly themed, and uh, we gave this is the most important thing, is we gave people a reason to come back year after year. And that's including the celebrities that we brought in. Uh, and, you know, every year we would add several new celebrities, and the level of celebrityhood was going up and up and up. And all of a sudden, we're in the Wall Street Journal, Willard Scott is broadcasting the weather live from Spooky World, the WWF has the superstars every Friday night signing autographs, but the signature thing was the hayride. Why people travel the distance to come. And you know, on the panel here, we have Anthony Landry. And Anthony, I'd like you to tell the audience what your experience was. This man is a super fan of Spooky World and now one of the producers on this film. Thank you again for everybody that gave me this opportunity. Uh, so, in the 90s, way before cell phones, way before the internet, you had to rely on magazines like the ones that Tony put out, Fangoria. So Fangoria would have conventions that would come around, but they were never a real guarantee every year. Um, then all of a sudden, I was in high school, taking a school bus in, had a Walkman with a cassette player, and I actually turned on the radio and I heard this jingle. And when you see this film, you'll understand what I'm saying. And at the end of it, it said, come to Spooky World in Berlin, Mass. And the first thing that got me was, we have a Berlin in Massachusetts? I thought that's in Germany. But I found out we had a Berlin, and at the end of it, they said, come meet Kane Hodder and Elvira. And I said, you can do that? Long before Monster Blues, long before most of the conventions, David brought in the idea of having a haunted house attraction, and at the very end is a reward. You get to meet your favorite celebrity horror icon. So there I was. I had to beg and plead my uncle to give me a ride out there because it was about 45 minutes outside of Boston where I grew up. And I got to meet Kane Hodder. And I still have that photo to this day. And thanks to David and thanks to this crew. Um, the interviews for this started just before the pandemic. So we had a convention on Boston called Rock and Shock. It was in Worcester. It's amazing. So Kane was there, Adam Green was there, and we had just started the production, and I got to interview Kane and bring that photo that he signed for me when I was 14 to him. And the great thing about Kane is, when he, when hopefully he does get here, but at the same time, when he starts talking about Spooky World, you're gonna see a kind of side of Kane Hodder that you haven't seen before. And I really can't wait for you to see that. He's a wonderful guy. But yeah, and now I'm producing this film during a pandemic, the bi-coastal production, that is a life in and of itself, and what Quinn has been able to put together, David's been able to put together, Danny's been able to put together, is just mind-blowing. And it proves that no matter what's thrown David's way, and Quinn's way, and Danny's way, something great's gonna come out of it. So I really can't wait for you to see this tomorrow night. Um, question for Quinn and, and Danny and, and David. 
Um, how did the documentary Spooktacular come, come about? What was the genesis? I, I could take this one. Uh, I, I've known David for just about 10 years now, but when we first met, he was in town doing a play because he's a theater producer as well. One night he told me all about Spooky World, and the more he told me, I was like, what, you actually started this industry then? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we did. We were the first to have a haunted theme park, but also a whole group of celebrities, horror celebrities, like Kane Hodder and Linda Blair, who, who would just, people could just come up and, that, that didn't exist, really. There was like one show, I think, right, Tony, that did it? The Fangoria show was one of the very yeah. first. In it fact, the only convention at the time. Yeah, Fangoria started it. David said, I'm going to take the best of Fangoria and the best of the, my haunted hayride, put them together, and it just took off like crazy. You know, thousands of I remember you always raiding the Fangoria conventions in New York, rounding up the talent for your Halloween. Stealing your people. Stealing yeah. your people away. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, this reminds you remember I actually I wrote I wrote about Spooky World. That's right, Fangoria. a sidebar, yes. That's yes. right. I wrote a thing about the great haunts in, in America for Fangoria. Gosh, I, I just I'm just remembering that now, how everything comes together. And I found Spooky World when I was doing Matlock. And Entertainment Tonight said, hey, uh, you know, do you want to go around the country and find all the haunted houses? So we did that. Me and my crazy friend, Chucky Williams, we drove around and shot at Spooky sure. World. And Robert England. Robert yeah, England. he was there that first time. We had that weekend that you were there, we called Heavyweights of Horror. We had Doug Bradley, who's Pinhead. We had um, uh, George Wilbur. Uh, we had R.A. Mahalha. Uh, and Robert uh, England. And Robert England, of course, yeah. So, and All Kane, four Kane in, the, in the haunted barn, All out in the middle of nowhere. Thing. In the uh, middle of nowhere. And, and, and kids like this guy here could go and, and see mean, the, all their favorite horror stars, which was not being done anywhere else in the country. And you didn't have to buy anything, you could just meet them. Right. You could just meet them. They, uh, they, they all said hello to everybody. Like, I remember that. That there was no... It didn't matter if you bought something, you didn't buy something. If you wanted to meet Butch Patrick, you met Butch Patrick, right? Very relaxed atmosphere, very laid back. And uh, no, we later moved on to a different location. We made an arrangement with the uh, New England Patriots football team. And they gave us some great space. And you know, honestly, the numbers went through the roof. Um, some of the purists of horror got mad at me because I was bringing in mainstream celebrities. I had a MASH reunion, I had a Dawson's Creek reunion, and so, you know, we were getting general audiences. And, um, but our numbers spiked to about 10 to 12,000 people a night in October, so that was... At one point, I think it was maybe the eighth year, we got an award from Ticketmaster as a million ticket seller, which is like less than 1% of all of their ticketing events. Danny, you've done some uh, great documentaries about cult movies and midnight movies. How did you get involved with Spooktacular? Uh, well, I met David actually a few years ago. I went to his play that was in Hollywood and it was amazing. And he told me I'm starting to make this documentary about Spooky World, it was my old theme park, and we're doing a documentary. And I, I told David, I go, well, you've got the two best things you can have going for you, horror and theme parks. Well, the horror genre is so massive, especially in the documentary market. And theme parks and, and documentaries like Class Action Park on HBO Max 
have done so phenomenally well. I said, David, you got the best of two worlds here. You got the horror fans and the theme park worlds. You can't lose making a documentary. But I remember telling David, you know, you're gonna do a doc. It can't just be all great footage, highlights, interviews. I go, was there conflict? Was there drama? What happened? Well, this it couldn't all been good. And David said, oh boy, I've got hours of stories about the crap I had to deal with between PETA showing up, city council showing up, local officials trying to close me down at every end. And I said, really? And he would tell me story after story about all the, that he had to endure. And a few irate husbands and wives. It was like how you kept this open as long. I said, you've got so many amazing stories and what really helps the documentary is all the conflict, the drama, everything you had to endure to keep this thing going. And, and those lucky enough to see the screenings tomorrow night in Pasadena, and we'll get to see the documentary in due time. You know, the nice thing, Danny, is we have this original footage yeah. because some of our staff was in broadcast media. So they were carrying around cameras and there's a lot of, you know, really great, rich footage that we have. And you talk about conflict, just simple things like we get to work one day and there's a PETA picket line out in front of our box office. There's like 20 protesters with picket signs. And they're saying that we're cruel to our mice and to our rats. Now, live mice and rats and the, a, a the few of mice the were in a crystal casket, and there were about forty or fifty of them licking peanut butter on one of, from one of the actresses in a crystal coffin. And she loved the job. My, my associate said, Mouse girl. "Nobody will be, be, be ever want to be cast in that. These people never wanted it." You have understudies, they stay forever. It was the most photographed thing in Spooky World. Then we had rats in the floor system under a one-inch plexiglass. And so the protesters made signs that the rats are stressed out, they're mistreated, they're unhappy. So I immediately addressed this stuff in a nice way, I'm sure you'll agree. I hired a pet psychic. I hired a veterinarian. And I had some mystic that would communicate with them. And every Monday on all of the talk shows, they would call in and say how happy the rats and mice were. And so we made levity of it, but you know, it made national press attention and, uh, and we addressed the issue, but there was constant conflict, little conflict. And it's all in the movie. <laughs> That's what's amazing is all the footage that was kept. Most of the time you want to do a documentary like this, it's hard to find the, there's nothing. Dude, it was hard to find. Let's not kid ourselves. It was very hard to take this. We finally got a lot of footage, but it wasn't handed to us. We, we, we spent two and a half years rattling un, un, finding footage, and, but we did. We, we got some amazing footage, and it's all in there. If you're a fan of the 90s, if you're a fan of theme parks, if you're a fan of horror, this movie's for you. You know, we're very grateful, Tony, for this panel here. These folks are obviously interested in what we did at Spooky World, and so as kind of a give back, I'd like to invite them to one of the screenings tomorrow night. Who would like to see the great. film like to free see tomorrow evening? Tomorrow night. Raise your hand. Yeah. Walking, walking distance from here, John, just a few blocks away. And we rented like a theater a couple of blocks away, and would love to. We'll pass out tickets. And, uh, if you take a ticket, though, Come. If you take a ticket, come. Like, if you don't think you're really going to go, don't take a ticket. We also have t-shirts tomorrow someone night. Someone else show up. What's that? 
Um, that was that they said. We, we also have t-shirts if you show up tomorrow night. So this little they have t-shirts. This, this this thing? Yes. This yeah. is the best male model we could find. <laughs> I know that wasn't an insult. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we're 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 doing the we're doing the hefty man model calendar later tonight. The regular guy we have, the, we have the spooky world speedo, you know. Oh no, hold on. <laughs> well the thing about David, like Bruce Valanche says that. What did he say? Call your media work. Yeah, Bruce Valanche and, and the, Sam, Sally Kirk both say David Bertolino's a media whore. Right. I've spoken well. Well, well you know, I ran a play a few years in West Hollywood just because I, I wanted to lose a little money. And uh, <laughs> and every night to draw our attention, which this really did help, but actually sold out our box office. I would get my uh, picketers, I would advertise them on Craigslist, and they would picket in front of my theater saying, close this show, God hates this show, shame on you. And the picketers would be going, so when my celebrities came for, you know, before curtain call, I'd give them a sign. So, uh, you know, Peter Brady, uh, can't think of his name. Christopher Knight, uh, Sally Kirkland, and, uh, and uh, Bruce Valanti, of course, was one of the judges. They'd be protesting the show every night out in front. And all the tour buses would say, oh my God, this show is filled with nudity and it's getting incredible press. And then all of a sudden the tour bus empties out and they're out buying tickets at the box office. But the celebrities helped drive the business to our box office. Well, speaking of big box office, at the, uh, the two times I went to Spooky World, the crowds were so large that the fire marshals shut you down. That was an ongoing struggle. Could you talk about that, those experiences well, you know, and those conflicts? In a small town, you've got small town politics. And back then, you know, they, this wouldn't happen today, but the chief of police was the head of my uh, security force and the fire marshal was the head of my paid duty force for the fire marshal. And so there was an immediate conflict. The two of the three selectmen uh, were working as ticket takers. And they had a vote every night to allow me to go beyond curfew. So there was one politician in the town, I, I will not you know, mention his name, David Miller. And he, uh, signed a bill to close us down, and he went to the state fire marshal's office, and under an emergency move, shut us down. And so that was kind of small town politics, but luckily, Robert Kraft was reading the paper that day, and he said, move to Gillette Stadium. I have, you know, a wooded area, and we've got plenty of parking, plenty of concessions. Next year, I cut a deal, and we moved to Gillette Stadium, and we were under the Patriots umbrella and no one was gonna fuck with us then. <laughs> hey, hey now, hey. So, back, meanwhile, back to Berlin for a minute because that's where a lot of the drama uh, happened. There wasn't a lot, I don't think there was a lot of drama at Gillette Stadium. No, never. Other than sort of some tragedy which we'll learn about at the end of our film. But in Berlin, uh, tell, us, tell us the Tiny Tim story. Uh, you know, Who knows I, Tiny Tim? Tiny Tim fans out there? Raise your hand, clap. Tiny Tim figure's big in our movie. Tiny Tim, look him up, Google. I, I don't know why, Quinn, but I get compared to P.T. Barnum. And, because uh, that's who you are. Yeah, you don't know why? And, <laughs> and so, uh, 
tiny, you know, I, I like to have a Fellini circus going on in my head all the time. And I would project that on the, you know, Hayride Trail into the crowd mixes of all the queue lines. We would build mini stages. So I had a home for Tiny Tim. Every night he would come out and sing Tiptoe Through the Tulips and various other medleys of one hit. And uh, Bobby Boris uh, Pickett would sing the, you know, the Halloween National Anthem, the Monster Mash. And so Tiny was talking about getting married. And I said, you know, you got married on The Tonight Show with Miss Vicky. Would you consider marrying Miss Jan here at Spooky World, live here in Berlin? Okay, but let me interject something here. At that time, Tiny Tim getting married on The Johnny Carson Show, if any of you remember that, was the highest rated program in the United States, second only to the moon landing. Now, now he's at David's Park and he's talking about getting married again. So David goes, hmm. And then finish the story, David. Well, we basically uh, convinced Tiny to get married uh, on Halloween night. I called uh, Jay Leno's show, uh, spoke to the producer, Patty, and uh, sparked her interest, didn't hear back, and then all of a sudden Jay calls us interested in doing it. He assigns uh, his roving reporter, Bill, Bill Maher. Bill Maher, and Bill comes out. We're setting up equipment, sound equipment, lots and lots of cameras. Uh, we're pre-selling tickets. We have limited edition uh, T-shirts made. I, I witnessed the wedding of Tiny Tim, October 31st, and the night before Tiny sees me on the. Uh, Midway and said, Mr. David, I've given it some thought and I think I'm infringing on the memory of Mr. Carson's show. I just can't get married tomorrow. And I've got all this equipment. I got NBC out there. I got, you know, staff ready to go. He wouldn't do it. So we called the Tonight Show folks, explained to them, well, somebody who still got along with Johnny at that point called the house in Malibu told Johnny what was happening, and Carson called the Radisson Inn in Marlboro and spoke to Tiny and said, Tiny, you have my blessing. It's a career move. Go for it. Do it. Tiny shows up. I'm going to get married tonight. Okay. We're ready. Oh, it was a close, very close call. This is why you have to go to this documentary. <laughs> yeah, we have actually the original footage of uh, him saying, actually breaking off his relationship with his girlfriend the morning before he got married, breaking it off, and she's leaving the area hysterically crying, and all on footage, and then Wait, and the girlfriend was not the girl he was marrying? No, he was oh, one, show The girlfriend was one of my witches. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh no. It, 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 it's up and down situation there. But anyway, uh, it's highly, what they say is highly entertaining. Yeah, it sounds like a great, a great day for that it's, girl. It's pretty <laughs> And David, you've had some non-Hara celebrities who've come to Spooky World as paying customers uh, during your heyday. Talk oh, about yeah, uh, some of the people of, that just know, dropped by unannounced. Oh, yeah, there was a ton of, you know, local Boston celebrities that were in sports. Celtics, the Red Sox, the Bruins, of course. And then, uh, you know, whoever was shooting in town, like I remember Mystic River was uh, shooting down the street from us. 
So Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon came a couple of times with their families, Robin Wright and Kara Sedgwick, and they loved Spooky World. And one of the catalysts, uh, if you remember Quinn, two years ago, Quinn's telling me, we, we gotta do this movie, we gotta follow you around. I said, who's interested? And it was October, and I'm watching Seth Meyers, and my wife and Cindy and I are, you know, it's like the Halloween week, and, um, Seth Meyers is, is interviewing John Krasinski. I guess you guys know who John Krasinski is, right? Quiet Place. Uh, Quiet Place. And uh, Seth says, uh, fellow New Englander, uh, do you have any fond memories of Halloween back in Newton, Massachusetts? And uh, Krasinski says, yeah, my best moments as a kid were spent visiting Spooky World theme park in Berlin, Massachusetts. They go on to a second segment and they talk about incidents that happened at Spooky World. And it was like a commercial. So the next day I called Quinn and I said, I think I'm in on this. I think I'll help you with the documentary. You can start interviewing me. And he followed me around for two years since. And the rest is cinematic history. Straczynski said, you know, my mom was a witch. She used to date Tiny Tim. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, walk us through some of the various haunted houses uh, that you had um, at Spooky World. It eventually grew to seven, right? Yeah, they, we, the, the signature first haunted house was the Tom Savini Haunted House, affectionately named after Tom. And Tom, you know, it's not very clever. I mean, you know, in the beginning, you've got a big budget, you spend the budget, and then you're scratching for pennies under the seat cushions. And so I said, Tom, you know, this is it. We got to wrap this up. He said, you know, give me a couple of thousand dollars more. A couple of, you know, it's like, oh, we're out. We're out of money. No more, no more. And he goes to um, a sporting goods store and comes back with a reel uh, of fishing line. And, and this is pure Tom. I mean, he's a total genius. Brings the house lights up, takes an industrial staple gun, and staples various strands of hanging fish line. So when you're walking through this dark haunted house and you feel like a little scratch against your ear or the, on your top of your head, it just creeps you out. And he came up with these great haunts, always at the end of the season when we were out of money. There was very little budget left, but you know, at one point we had six haunted houses. We had a, the American Horror Museum, which was you know, populated with all of this original props and displays from first-run horror movies. Yeah, Freddy's glove, Jason's mask. I remember you used to come to the Fangoria conventions and stick around for the auction, and you were always the highest bidder on some of the well, prize you know, I props. Well, I gotta say, it was a tough time, Tony. We made it tough for me, and I'll tell you why. Planet Hollywood was getting into these collectibles, and they were buying up, you know, as soon as they finished shooting something, it goes right to Planet Hollywood. I couldn't even bid on it, I couldn't even. So finally, one lucky winter, for Weekend of Horrors Fangoria. It was a severe snowstorm. We're at the Roosevelt, I think it was the Roosevelt Hotel. I was at Pennsylvania, Hotel Pennsylvania. And, and you know, it's like a foot of snow within a couple of hours. And all of a sudden, the, the, it's probably a room this size, it clears up. There's hardly anyone left. So Planet Hollywood went back to their planet. I was one of the few people left seated. And I was winning every bit at the auction. It was great. I, had I remember on, that. The roof of my Jeep was uh, 
the, the creature from FX, Rosebud, yep. on the top yeah. of my roof, and then the, the cap was filled with the other props. But we scored that one year, finally. And what's this about a spooky world curse that I've uh, heard well, about? I'll, I'll talk about that. When, when's, more, yeah. <laughs> when's documented this There's, stuff? We also have a curse involved. Yeah. Um, I, you guys are local, and you may, some of you may remember on Hollywood Boulevard in the 90s, there was a, a museum and a little kind of a weird uh, satanic boutique called Hell House in Hollywood. Anybody remember that? Yeah, it was right off Hollywood Boulevard. On, on like Ivar or, yeah, I remember that. So David walks in there one day, right after making a deal to have Robert England come to the park, and he sees all these uh, creepy wax figures based on real crimes. You know, the Hillside Strangler, and um, going all the way back to the Fatty Arbuckle killings, um, and everything in between, uh, Charles Manson. And, but he also sees, uh, Bella Lugosi, and beautiful, beautiful Bella Lugosi wax figure as Dracula, and he wants that one, but they won't sell it to him. Anyway, long story short, they got booted out of Hollywood, and the guy, the, the two satanic Church of, Church of Satan, who owned the place, called him and said, you can have Bella Lugosi, but you gotta come and get all of them. And they're all really creepy wax figures based on crimes, rapes, killings, and David said, well, okay. He, he brings them all back, he builds a place for them, charges a separate fee and a separate entrance, and says, this isn't really part of Spooky World, but if you're, you're really sick enough and you want to see that shit. <laughs> and he charges an extra five bucks, of course, because it's Dave Bertolino. Uh, so, uh, the very next year, Spooky World is, is forced to shut down. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you much more than that, but, um, you know, there's a big coincidence about those things, and uh, you're going to learn more about that if you come and see I would like to just acknowledge uh, a couple of people who aren't on the stage or stuff with us this evening, and that is our writer, Gail Jordan, who's out there in the audience. She spent three years researching and writing this incredible story. We have our, our, one of our East Coast producers, Mr. Bill Tartaglia, who shot, I don't know, a hundred interviews or something in the studio, no? And um, Aaron, are you out there? Aaron, is in, uh, Aaron, I forgot your last name, Aaron, I'm so sorry. Aaron Meadows. One more hand for Mr. Aaron. Uh, I hope you can get anybody. Did I forget anybody else? And every one of them is saying, why is Roebuck up there and not me? <laughs> well, it, uh, you, you guys saw Danny in, a little bit in the, uh, in the opening there, but um, Mr. Daniel Roebuck is quite the film and horror historian himself. He's got a, a really fascinating background. We were talking about Jay Leno earlier. Some of you may remember that Mr. Roebuck uh, depicted Jay Leno in the movie Night Shift. The Late Shift. The Late Shift. The Late Shift. <laughs> movie. You know, about Letterman. I like to think of it, it was about Leno and Letterman. Not about Letterman and Leno. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? You live in Burbank. Uh, some friends came in to visit the other day and were just going up to Halloween Town. And there's Jay Leno. Like, you know, I said, hey, you want to meet Jay Leno? So we went over it. Like, you know, it's not often you just bump into people you play. 
in the, in the movies. But that happens to me more than, more than it happens to most. He hangs out at a pizza restaurant across from the CBS on Hollywood Boulevard. The old taste of Chicago. Oh yeah. Joe Montagna's full place. That's well, where he is Sunday afternoon. Well, Sunday night he's at Comedy and Magic Store. Yeah, if or, you want to stalk him, that's where you'll find yeah, him. Well, <laughs> no, he also is at, he's at uh, Flappers. You, you, oh, Jay, yeah, he's Flappers, great. Yeah. You can go to Flappers, 20 bucks, you see Jay Leno, and he does an hour. It's amazing. He's the nicest person. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Jay Leno. We're here to talk about David Perlino, but he knew Jay Leno. <laughs> Talk about condensing all this great footage you have, uh, all the hundreds of interviews you did, or close to 100. We did, we did about 100 interviews. Uh, uh, Spooky World employees, Spooky World fans, uh, lots local of celebrities in the town, uh, several celebrities who were uh, visited Spooky World. Um, Mr. Daniel Roebuck, who I don't mention that you were there as a young roving reporter. I think you did touch on that. I did. I was there twice. We did it once for. Entertainment Tonight, and then we and then we went back and we shot Halloween: The Happy Haunting of America. Right. Some of the footage is in the documentary. If you guys love haunts, this isn't an upsell or a pitch, but I do have copies of the documentary. We remastered it, and we have those at my table and at the trick or treat table. But it's a great documentary about Halloween, and I loved going there and really giving Spooky World its due because we we have like a ten minute segment about it. It's great, sweet. And uh, Dan Roebuck, if you can just mention your project as Grandpa Munster. Yeah, who's excited about Rob Zombie's The Munster? It's gonna be a lot of fun, so go see it. <laughs> um, did you ever have Al there at the point? You know, I pitched him. He was very involved with Grandpa's restaurant at the time. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. He didn't come up. Didn't well, that, come up. that was his. That was his loss, because it was such a, a great, loving crowd. Well, Spooky World provided a lifeline to some of, the, some of these celebrities who kind of on a low ebb of their careers. Well, Butch Patrick, uh, for example, because you were talking, we were talking about the Munsters. Butch Patrick was, year one, was one of the very first, along with Tom Sabini and Kane Hodder. And, uh, and Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar Hansen. But uh, uh, he's in our film. So some of you probably remember him. But he wasn't, but Butch wasn't on the low. I mean, I think you revitalized Tiny Tim. I don't think that's, that would, you know what I mean? That wouldn't, because you don't, look, it's hard to, it's hard to be, it's hard to be an actor. And the perception is that sometimes you're more famous or less famous. But like Butch, you know, he did great work forever. All these guys, but Tiny Tim had a moment of glory and then, Nobody kind of heard from him, and you exactly. put him back on the map. You know, it was, was a real he was a really nice guy to us. He would come out and do uh, three shows a night. And if the crowds were heavy, which, you know, frankly, you know, like I said before, we geared up for, you know, 200 people, and every night we were doing 2,000 in the first year. But by the second year, we're doing 3,000 people a night, seven days a week, 31 nights in a row. And Tiny would just keep coming out and doing encores and doing another show. He, he was our, you know, celebrity singer in the house. Yeah, yeah. At one point, we were buying skids of plastic tulips, and he would throw them to the audience while singing Tiptoe Through the Tulips. And, you know, we loved him. And at the end of the night, he didn't want to charge for his 8 by 10s We finally had to insist, look, charge $5 at least. So he would take all the money, and at the end of the night, you know, or at the end of the weekend, he would ask me to 
changed all of his large bills to fives and ones. And I found out after he passed on from Gil Morse, his uh, agent, that when he would go home on Monday to uh, the Bronx, he would get off at the subway and he would hand out to all of the people on the street that needed money, all of the small bills, all the way home. And then, you know, he would spend all of the cash money that he got heading home to bring it to people on the street. For you youngsters out there, Tiny Tim arrived on the scene out of nowhere in 1969 and blew up for about six months. It was, he was on the lips of everyone. It was like, it's hard to imagine now with the internet and everything is so sort of spread out and everybody has their little niche thing, but at that time, everyone in America was focused on whatever was the hottest thing on TV. Everyone knew who Tiny Tim was and he showed up everywhere. He was a a huge hit and then fell into obscurity. And David Bertolino sort of pulled him back up and he had his shining little moment. One of our sponsors was TJ Maxx and they would have employee nights because uh, I met Ben Camarada on the beach in Aruba and I pitched him sitting on the beach when I found out he was, in, he was president of, of TJ Maxx. Nothing about this surprises <laughs> anybody on this panel. Well, well, anyway, to make a long story short, Ben loved Tiny Tim. So, you know, on a TJ Maxx night, he hired Tiny, had him go into studio with an acapella backup group and sing during a TJ Maxx commercial. And they showed him quickly in the image, and he got a nice paycheck out of it. He was thrilled. So he kind of made his uh, season that year. He also had a, a monster palooza regular, Linda Blair, at many spooky worlds, and he became friends with Linda. You know, Talk about uh, your relationship I with her. I'm a fan of Linda Blair. I love The Exorcist. That you know, there's two of my favorite horror movies of all times: Vincent Price's House of Wax, and, and uh, Quinn will talk to you about my tie-in with Vincent Price. But the other was Linda Blair. But I couldn't find her. She was not doing autographs. She wasn't doing any shows. But I researched and discovered she had an unpaid excise tax bill in Westport, Connecticut. So I tracked her down, I sent a letter, her mom got the letter and called me, and her mom convinced Linda to come up to, to visit Spooky World, and she was a continuous autograph. He stopped her. Legit. I just said you stalked her. You, you, you may have glossed over the fact that he actually went and looked up her tax records in her hometown. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you paid off Feline. <laughs> but actually, she was one of the, 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 the best Spooky World uh, celebrities that you ever had there because people really were excited to meet her and talk to Linda Blair. Who's seen The Exorcist? Yeah, at that time, and Linda Blair's name was on. Every, she was an absolute household name. Everybody knew who she was. At a certain point, uh, Alice Cooper, you know, after a few years, would, you know, Toby Mammoth, the agent, would tell me, you know, Alice tries to have the tour come through Boston in the fall because we want to do Spooky World. We want to do Spooky World, you know, at night, and then do a tour days midweek at the local Orpheum Theater. And he loved coming to Spooky World. We'd line him up with a lot. He, he, I had to promise him that we would have a good set of players for golf every morning. And of course, he gave me the opportunity 
to select paying sponsors of Spooky World to play golf. Oh, that's so it really worked nicely. <laughs> I, re I remember when we interviewed him for one of the documentaries that we did about you, that Toby said he needed makeup. And we were, so I remember going to that mall and buying makeup, and I was putting makeup on Alice Cooper, and I thought, this is the most ridiculous. Like, <laughs> this guy is like the greatest guy in the world. He was such a gentleman. Oh my gosh, he was such a gentleman. Uh, I, he said, I don't even, it doesn't even feel like you're putting it on. I was like, no kidding. Because I didn't really put any on, I'll bet. Great guy. But the, look, you did that for those of uh, others of us. We got to meet these people. You know what I mean? And we waited patiently in traffic for hours. Um, a little bit of the location of this place. It's about 30, 45 minutes outside of Boston. It's in the middle of nowhere. Country town, Berlin, Massachusetts. But nowhere, but incredibly well scouted and located at the interchange of a couple of major highways in the Massachusetts area. And the elements in the area, when I drove in there as a kid, well I didn't, my uncle did. So I'm dating myself now. Uh, we were sitting in traffic on 495, which is one of the belts outside of Boston. And then we got onto the other highway, and I'd say it took us 90 minutes to get into the parking lot. And when you came off of the highway, you could see the lights from this barn. And what you also saw was this natural fog. The location was right on this small river. You didn't have to, when I got in there, it was so heavily fogged, I thought it was in a movie, and I thought it was fake. Helping David make this film, I realized that wasn't fake fog. They literally found the most ideal location to put this. And I know a lot of you can't make it there because it doesn't exist there anymore, but having seen what Quinn's put together, what his team has put together, uh, I think this is about as close as you can get without uh, 1950s smell vision and all those gimmicks, but uh, you're gonna like this. And it, it really captures the area and the time because it also made you feel isolated. No, nobody had pagers then, cell phones, they knew how to say, you're really far away from home, and good luck finding a payphone if you think you're scared. That's how good it was. Okay, that's it for today. We'll catch you back here tomorrow for a visit across the pond to ScareCon 2022 in Europe. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.